Hi, I'm Paul Elvis, and this thing beside me here, this is the short story machine. I'm not sure how it ended up in my basement, and to be honest, for quite a while I didn't even know what it did. But it turns out, if you take a story like this one I've got here, if you take this story and you put the sheets, put the entire story into this opening in the machine, like so... Well, eventually the machine comes up with an audio version of the story. Now, while the machine is doing its work, let me tell you a little bit about this week's author. And this week we have Scott McKenzie, who lives in Cheshire, UK, with his wife and children. He says that with no education in storytelling other than a healthy appetite for fiction in all forms, Scott simply thought he'd see if he could write a novel, and hasn't stopped since. Balancing family, work, and a love of sport and movies, Scott writes his fast-paced stories in short, sharp bursts. Well, I think that noise means the machine is ready. Anyways, today's story is called The Self-Driving Killer, uh, and it is a no-agenda short story by Scott McKenzie. This short story was edited by Rebecca Hoffman. Read her blog, Rebecca's Red Pen, at rebeccamhoffman.blogspot.com. And now's the time when I press this flashing green button. I tell you, we were kind of scared the first time we pressed it. We weren't sure what was going to happen. But uh, now we know that the story begins. The Self-Driving Killer A No Agenda Short Story By Scott McKenzie Narrated by Paul Elvis Chapter 1 It felt like just another Saturday morning when Theo's alarm jolted him awake. Up at 5.15, in and out of the shower, followed by a long walk to open the convenience store at 6. A long walk that would please God become a short drive on Monday when he passed his driving test. The thought of unwrapping bundles of the day's papers entered his mind and the events of yesterday came flooding back to him. President Green is dead. Harold Franklin Green, the 46th President of the United States of America, had been shot and killed by a lone gunman while recording an interview on The Larry Clark Show. Theo thumbed through his Facebook feed all the way to the store, hardly looking up when he reached crossings and stop signs. Barely 12 hours had passed since the President's assassination, but the shockwaves had been felt all over the world. The first entry in his feed was an option provided by Facebook to add a green filter to his profile picture and a nod to the ex-President. And it looked like everyone in the world had chosen this option, in an effort to show what exactly. Theo wasn't sure. Support for President Green's family? Surely not solidarity for his causes. Theo was young, but still he knew that there was little public support for the war in Jabronistan, and that was almost certainly the one thing for which Green's short presidency would be remembered. Theo thumbed past the headlines of articles his friends had posted. Without tapping them to read the whole articles, he still got the gist of what had happened overnight. The Secret Service had detained the shooter, who had not yet been named, but he had been shot and killed in an attempt to escape from custody. Vice President John O'Brady had been sworn in as president, but he had already announced his intention to call for a presidential election before the end of the year to allow the people of this great nation to decide who they want in charge. Former CIA Director Frank Oates was already the favorite to win the Republican nomination and the election itself. The stack of newspapers wrapped in plastic waiting outside the convenience store was much taller than usual. 
The papers inside them looked thicker than usual, too. Last night must have been an all-nighter for journalists, editors, and printers alike. Papers usually have a bunch of obituaries for famous people written well in advance, don't they? Theo wondered if President Greens had been ready to go straight to press. He thought it probably was. After all, the risk of assassination was considerably higher for the president than, say, someone who worked in a convenience store. The silence of early morning was broken by the rattle of shutters as Theo opened up the store. He sleepwalked through the monotonous tasks of racking the newspapers, logging onto the till, and firing up the self-serve coffee machine. He always rewarded himself with a free cup of black coffee when these tasks were out of the way, and it was only when the first sip went past his lips that he felt like the day had truly begun. Most of his friends chose some kind of luminous energy potion as their first drink of the day, but Theo couldn't stomach them. He saw people come and go in the store with energy drinks and couldn't imagine starting his day with those disgusting flavors. Just in the last week, a new peanut butter-flavored cola had appeared in the store's fridge. The very thought of it made him feel sick. He turned the sign on the door from closed to open and took his position behind the till. Then his phone rang. It was Terry, his boss, who was due to take over when his shift ended at 3 p.m. Hey, Terry, he said. How's it going? Theo, thank God you're there. There was a background drone on the call which told Theo that Terry was driving and he detected panic in his boss's voice. Is everything okay? Yeah, I think so, but I need to ask you a favor. Theo knew exactly what the favor would be. Terry had a history of asking for favors. Want me to cover your shift? Theo asked. Today and tomorrow at least. That's 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. all weekend. I know, and I'm sorry, but something's come up. Kind of a family thing. There's somewhere I need to go. I'll be gone a couple of days. Theo sighed. Fine. Double time though, right? Fine. Whatever you want. Really? Theo always asked for double time whenever Terry asked him to cover his shifts, and Terry always said no. It had become their running joke. Something had changed. Sure. Like I said, whatever you want. You better be back for Monday morning, though. Why? I've got my driving test at 9. No way I'm missing that. But if I need you to do more shifts next week, can you do it? I guess. I don't go back to school for another week. Okay, good. Thanks, Theo. Gotta go. See you Monday. Terry hung up, leaving Theo standing at the till with two 17-hour shifts in front of him. Chapter 2 Theo had done all he could. Now it was down to the assessor in the passenger seat to decide whether he could be trusted behind the wheel on his own. Now, Theo, the assessor began, and Theo turned to look at him, his heart pounding in his chest. This is usually the part where I make young guys like you sit there, crapping their pants for a while before telling them if they've passed. You see, most kids of your age don't drive all that well, and they rely on all the technology built into cars these days. Self-driving, auto-braking, blah, blah, blah. It's just there to turn a bad driver into an okay driver. But you're a good driver. Technology or not, you do exactly the right thing on the road every time, at least if today's test is anything to go by. Theo was ecstatic, but he was compelled to ask the stupid, obvious question. He wanted to hear the words. So I've passed? Of course you've passed. You're one of the best drivers I've ever had in my car. Theo pumped his fist and muttered a victorious yes to himself. So what now? The assessor said. Are you going to get your own car? 
My dad said he would help me out with the money for a car if I passed the first time. Good for you. Don't ever forget what you've learned, though, Theo. You know how to drive really well. New cars are nothing more than big computers with four wheels, but you should still think of them as pieces of machinery that need to be operated with precision. The world's already got too many idiots who get drunk, get behind the wheel of their self-driving car and hit the home button. Don't be one of them. I won't, Theo said. Is that your dad over there? Through the windscreen, Theo saw his father pacing back and forth outside the office of the driving assessment center, chewing his fingernails. Yeah, that's him. He looks more nervous than you did. Theo smiled. You'll be the same when your kids take their test. Go tell him the good news. Theo thanked the assessor and left the car. His father's look of anticipation quickly turned to one of pride when Theo's beaming smile told the world he'd passed. They hugged and high-fived and his father said, Let's go find your car. Their bubble of happiness didn't exactly burst. It was more like a slow deflation throughout the morning as they came to realize that there was very little in his price range. Theo hadn't spent much time browsing for cars before his driving test. He didn't want to jinx it. And he had felt like it would have been a waste of time, a valuable time he should have spent behind the wheel. But now that he'd passed his test, the money he'd saved up by working weekends at the convenience store, even with all the overtime Terry threw his way, felt less like a war chest and more like a drop in the ocean. They visited dealership after dealership and he came to the slow realization that nowhere in Portland, Oregon was there a car he could afford that wouldn't get him laughed off the high school parking lot. They were beginning to think the dark cloud of reality had totally eclipsed the sunshine of Theo's success when something caught his father's eye on the drive to the last dealership on their list. He slammed on the brakes and turned the car around. What is it, Dad? Look his father said, pointing to a dealership that had been set up around an old gas station. I haven't seen that place before, Theo said. Me either, his father said, and must be new. They pulled up on the road outside the makeshift car dealership. What had caught Theo's father's eye wasn't the inflatable 15-foot-tall stick figure waving its arms wildly in the air. It was a banner which bore an offer that looked too good to be true. Drive the EVL1 away today. No money down. $99 a month, including insurance. First month free. They got out of the car and Theo felt the dark clouds roll away. The Synergy EVL1 was a two-door coupe, small and sleek, with the exception of its big rectangular front grille that made it look like a baby Mustang. Like so many new cars, it was fully electric, and despite its size, the battery in the trunk could hold a charge that would take the driver 400 miles before it needed a two-hour charge. That's what the promotional material said anyway. The EVL1 had been on the market for almost two years. Initial sales had been strong, but it had been dogged by software problems. In most electronic devices, a recall or a software update would be sufficient to fix the bugs and keep customers happy. But the software bugs in question affected the self-driving functions, resulting in the deaths of several drivers who put too much faith in the EVL1's ability to find its way back home in extreme weather conditions. That hampered the effectiveness of its vast array of sensors. The car was pulled from the market until a full inquiry could take place. Six months later, the software bugs had been fixed. The families of the victims were suddenly fabulously rich, and the EVL1 appeared back on the market without any fanfare. No one from Synergy Services Automotive Division faced criminal proceedings, but manufacturing ceased with the IT Services Corporation stating that their first foray into the automotive industry had been an experiment 
and they currently did not have plans to produce the EVL2. At that moment, the only EVL1s on the road suddenly became limited editions and they were treated with the same admiration and kitsch appreciation as the DeLorean DMC-12. The dealer darted between the finely polished EVL1s towards Theo and his father, eager for a sale. Hey, good day to you, he shouted as he approached. Are you looking for a bargain today or are you insane? Excuse me, Theo's father said. Well, you'd have to be insane not to drive away from here today in one of these beautiful automobiles, the driver said with an ear-to-ear grin. Theo stared at the cars in the forecourt. He couldn't argue with the guy, no matter how smarmy he was. The EVL1 was a beauty, all right. He could imagine the looks he'd get as he pulled up in the high school parking lot, positioning this delicious piece of engineering among the 15-year-old hatchbacks his friends drove, all riddled with rust and with more than 100,000 miles on their clocks. Let's start at the beginning, the dealer said, extending his hand. My name's Anthony, but you can call me Tony. They both shook Tony's hand, and he carried on with his sales patter. And which one of you fine gentlemen is in the market for a new car? Maybe both of you are. His eyes twinkled with a mixture of hope and what Theo took to be desperation. Theo here just passed his test, Theo's father said. When? Just this morning, Theo said. First time? Yes, sir. Congratulations. Tony exploded with emotion, taking Theo's hand and shaking it violently, only stopping to pat him roughly on the shoulder. So now you're dreaming of a car like the EVL1? We've been around all the dealerships in town, Theo said. And let me guess, everything sounds too big, too small, or just too damn expensive? Pretty much. That explained the looks on your faces when you pulled up here. It's that damn cash for clunker scheme the government forced on us last year. There's too many used cars in the market and they're all crap. $5,000, no questions asked for your piece of shit, pardon my French, towards a brand new car. Now everyone who wanted a new car has got one and no one wants a used car. Prices need to drop, but it's just not happening. But unfortunately for Synergy, they weren't allowed to sell the EVL1 during that scheme, were they? Theo's father said. Dead right, sir, Tony immediately backtracked from his unfortunate choice of words. Um, I mean, you're correct. Before we go any further, I've got to ask, is the EVL1 still a danger? No, sir. The software problems were ironed out long time ago. But sometimes, pardon my friend, shit sticks and nothing can wipe it off. So that's why you're offering the cars out so cheap? Correct. Synergy is sitting on huge stock and they're trying to get them all out on the road to see if they can drum up enough interest in a possible relaunch or a new model in the future. And that's why you're offering a lease rather than going for sale so you can take them back and sell them on if the public decides they've got an appetite for a killer car? Tony spluttered at Theo's father, half amused, half offended. You're a straight talker, sir, and I respect you for that. You're my kind of guy. Tony dug in his pocket, then turned to Theo and dangled a key from a chain in front of his eyes. Tell you what, young man, why don't you take this black one next to me out for a spin while I talk some more to your father? Chapter 3 Theo's eyes widened as he sat down in the driver's seat. EVL1 was unlike any car he had ever sat in before. True, the black leather bucket seats and chrome flashes on the dials were straight out of any German-engineered luxury vehicle, but that was where the similarities ended. The most striking feature of the EVL1's interior was its dashboard. Instead of being a collage of screens and windows of various sizes to house the speedometer, ref counter, sat-nav, and entertainment system, 
The entire dashboard was one long curved ultra high definition touchscreen that stretched upwards from the gear stick and into a wide T-shape in front of the driver and the passenger. The shine on it was brilliant, giving the impression that the interior of the car was fashioned from a single piece of polished black marble. Theo could see his awestruck face in its reflection. A single icon next to the steering wheel flashed slowly, fading in and out, like it was the beating heart of the car itself. Lettering around the icon said, Touch here to begin. With a single touch, the car sprung to life. Thin lines of vivid color shot in all directions across the screen for a second, then the familiar dials appeared where Theo expected to find them. What he didn't expect was to hear a female voice from hidden speakers all around him. Welcome aboard, Theo. Where would you like to go today? It was a friendly voice, upbeat but authoritative. Welcome on board my car, Theo, she seemed to say. But don't forget it's my car you're driving. How does she know my name? Theo thought out loud. The car gave him the answer. I've been fitted with facial recognition cameras on the interior and exterior and I have connection to identity verification systems. Really? Theo said, engaging the EVL-1 in natural conversation, as if there was a woman sitting in the passenger seat next to him. So who are those two people outside the car? The man on the left is called Philip Davies. My records tell me he is your father. The man standing next to him is called Anthony Baloney. He works for Synergy Automotive, where he is a senior product operative. He looks like a salesman to me. That is not the information available to me. Before the conversation went any further, the car changed the subject. Would you like to go for a test drive? That's why I'm here, Theo said. Okay, I will take you on one of my pre-programmed test drive routes, using the self-drive function. A sat-nav appeared on the dashboard to the right of the steering wheel. You can follow the journey on the map. If you wish to take control of the car at any point, take the steering wheel and say self-drive off. The car paused to allow Theo to take it all in. Then she said, When you're ready to go, say go. Theo took a breath and looked around the car. He had never taken a ride in a self-driving car before and he was nervous about its safety, which already had a reputation as a killer. But on the other hand, the offer was too good to ignore. Go! The tires squeeched as the EVL-1 shot backwards. Theo saw the look of shock on his father's face as he backed out of the forecourt. The car swung out into the road with Theo staring in amazement as the steering wheel spun in front of him. He was thrown back into his seat as the car took off down the street. Theo had always assumed self-driving cars would move along the road sensibly and carefully, using their sensors and software to ensure that they always stayed as far away from hazards as possible. What the EVL-1 did was the exact opposite. It seemed to be using the data from its sensors to drive as fast as possible down straight roads, hug tight corners as close as it could and slam on the brakes at the last possible moment. EVL-1 took Theo on a short trip that showed him everything it was made of. Whether it was daring in and out of city traffic, blasting its way along an empty freeway, or, or cutting blind corners on rural roads, Theo was in no doubt that this car ran on more than just the battery in the back. EVL-1 was fueled by adrenaline and someone had stuck a jalapeno in its tailpipe, and on top of that it spoke to him in a female voice he was starting to enjoy the sound of. One mile to your destination, the car said as they headed back into the city. Despite the icon on the dashboard telling Theo their current zone had a speed limit of 30, the EVL-1 was doing 60. Then all of a sudden the car spoke in an urgent tone. Brace for emergency braking! Theo had barely registered the instruction when the brakes slammed on. He was thrown forward in his seat and heard the thud 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 of the anti-lock braking system as it engaged. 
The speedometer fell to 30 and stayed there, leaving the EVL-1 cruising along the road at the legal speed. What the hell just happened, Theo said. The car's voice was back to its measured tone. Up ahead, you will see a police car on the right. Theo looked up and down the road. I don't see it. The dark blue hatchback up ahead is an unmarked police car. My image recognition systems detected it, with the officer behind the wheel pointing a speed camera in our direction. She's not lying, Theo thought. He only realized he'd begun thinking of the EVL-1 as a she rather than it after they cruised past the unmarked car without incident. This car was incredible. She would drive herself like a professional racing driver, but better than that, you knew she had your back. If she could stop you getting a speeding ticket, she would. Then he realized he hadn't driven her himself yet. So mesmerized had he been by the show she, no, it, had put on for him. Self-drive off, he announced. Take the wheel, the car said. We're turning control in three, two, one. The tension in the steering mechanism relaxed and Theo gripped the wheel. With the due care and attention that any test drive deserved, Theo drove the EVL-1 along the remainder of the route back to the dealership. The controls were smooth and responsive. Theo found himself falling in love with the car. He pressed the button to engage the parking brake and the female voice announced, You have reached your destination. He tapped the ignition icon to turn the engine off. Then the car spoke again as he opened the door to leave. Engine shutting down. Have a nice day, Theo. Thanks, you too, he replied without thinking. His father and Tony both had looks of excited anticipation on their faces, but for different reasons. How was it? They both said at the same time. Great, Theo said. Amazing, really, she, I mean it, drove itself for most of the journey. Tony laughed. Everyone who test drives the EVL1 calls it a he or a she. Sorry, it's a little trick I do. If it's a guy test driving, the voice is female. And if a gal wants a test drive, I give it the hunky dude voice. Nearly everybody falls in love by the end of the test drive. This was followed by an uncomfortable silence, where the elephant in the room was the desire for Tony to close the deal. Ever the voice of reason, Theo's father broke the silence. How did she drive when you took the wheel? Great, Theo said again. Can you see yourself driving her for the next year? Theo's eyes widened. Tony noticed and cracked a smile. Theo knew his father had done some kind of deal while he had been test driving this technological marvel. Oh yeah, I love it! Without another word, Tony held out his hand in the direction of Theo's father, but they didn't shake immediately. Leaving the dealer's outstretched hand hanging in the air, he had one more thing to say. This is too good to be true. 80 bucks a month for a 12-month lease? Where's the rub? No rub, sir. Shake my hand and your boy drives the EVL1 away right now, and you even get the first month free. Shake his hand, Dad, Theo screamed to himself. Chapter 4 You have reached your destination. Theo was engulfed by a satisfied warmth at the sound of the EVL-1's voice. He wondered if this love affair would continue for the full 12 months of the lease his father had signed on his behalf. Then he felt a pang of sadness at the thought of giving her back in a year's time. But like all love affairs his young mind was anticipating, he decided to brush away those fears of when it would finally end and enjoy the ride while it lasted. He wrenched himself out of the driver's seat and entered the convenience store in time to start his shift. There was no one else inside apart from Terry who had showed up for work. He was standing behind the till but started gathering his things together as soon as he caught sight of Theo. Thank God you're here, Terry said. Theo approached the desk and saw an urgent look of panic on Terry's face. What's up? 
Look, I know I asked a lot of you this weekend, so thanks for covering my shifts. Theo could feel a butt coming. But, uh, but I need you to cover me for a while. How long? I don't know. I need to get out of town. Talk to one of the agencies to get some temp staff in, or get one of your friends to work here for a while. I need you to sort that out for me. I need you to cover all the shifts until you've got someone else to help out. Terry relied on Theo's good nature to get him out of the regular jams he seemed to get himself into, but he had never asked this much of him. Why me? You're the owner. I know, but it's not safe for me to hang around here. I, I need to disappear for a while. That's a bit melodramatic, isn't it? You sound like a character in a soap opera. It's true, I know. It, it might be hard to believe, but it's all related to President Green's assassination. Theo stifled a laugh. Come on, Terry. We both know you've spouted some bullshit in your time, but you can't expect him to believe you're embroiled in some political conspiracy. Believe it. Look, I shouldn't tell you about this, but I need you to understand so you don't run my franchise into the ground while I lay low for a while. You know I told you I had a younger brother called Tom who worked for the government? Yeah, isn't he the assistant to some big cheese? Frank Oates, the former head of the CIA, but he isn't his assistant anymore. Why? Because he's dead. What? How? I don't know, but I do know it was sometime on Friday or Saturday. Listen to this email I got from him. Terry took out his phone and tapped the screen, then read the email out loud. Hi, Terry. I know we haven't spoken much in the last few years, but I want you to know that I don't consider it a personal thing. I guess our lives just moved in different directions. I still think of you and the rest of our family, what's left of it, all the time. That's why you're receiving this email. I'm not sure of the right way to say this, so I'll just come out and say it. If you're reading this, then it means I'm dead. And it wasn't suicide or a long-term illness. The only conditions under which you will receive this message are that I have either been the victim of a tragic accident or I have been murdered. If you happen to read about my demise in the papers, it will most certainly say that I was involved in an accident. You see, the work I've been doing these last few years may have appeared to be just some kind of boring administrative job. Ferrying Frank Oates around from one place to another, making sure he gets to his meetings on time. True, that was part of the job, but there was another side to it. The real part of the job. It's difficult to know where to start, but I want those closest to me to know that I'm not proud of what I've done. I know things, and I have seen things, that would shake the foundations of the world you think you know. I've manipulated stock markets, coordinated military strikes, and ruined good people's lives. All in the name of making a buck and solidifying power for people who already have too much of it. In doing so, I have accumulated great wealth, but it would appear that I have died before I could get the chance to spend it. It's likely that my death has been perpetrated by the people I work for. Now is where you come in. Check your bank account. You will see I have made a deposit. It is a significant amount of money. But bear in mind that the authorities have almost certainly been alerted to the fact that this money transfer has taken place. There will be people who come looking for you, who want to dispute my story and they want to remove all trace of what I've done. The way I see it, you have two options. One, don't touch the money and wait until they come for you. At that point, you tell them you want nothing to do with me and give them the money. I can't see any reason why any harm would come to you if you take this approach. Two, take the money and run. But I guess the question is where? There is an organization called The Resistance, a kind of underground group of citizens who consider themselves to be freedom fighters against what Frank Oates and his cronies from the Council of Unified Nations are doing. I don't have any contacts within The Resistance, so it will be difficult for you to find them. But I think I have a way of getting you close to them. 
I know you live in Portland, so it should be fairly easy for you to take a drive up to Port Angeles, Washington. Then take the road going west out of town. Eventually, you'll see a building that may still be under construction. It's called the Unified Nations Intelligence Command Building 1, or UNICOM 1 for short. It will be a magnet for those people the rest of society thinks of as conspiracy theorists or the Tin Foil Hat Brigade. But make no mistake, UNICOM 1 is real, and it will be a key part of the new global surveillance state. If you don't meet anyone from the resistance when you're there, find out who is talking about it online. Eventually you will find your way to the resistance, or they will find their way to you. If what I've heard about them is true, they will help you, and they can use some of the money I've sent you to further their cause. I've sent similar messages and payments to other members of our family and news organizations. I know you will do whatever is right for you. It is a great regret of mine that we weren't closer in life. I only hope that my death can help us make a difference in this world together, Tom. Theo saw tears welling in Terry's eyes. Holy crap, was all he could say. So that's where I've been over the weekend, Terry said. Port Angeles. Did you find what your brother told you about? And then some. The Unicom building is enormous, and it's only about half finished. When it's complete, it's going to be a huge pyramid sitting on the northwest tip of the United States. A pyramid? Yeah, you gotta see it to believe it. Did you see anyone else when you were there? You better believe it. I don't know how they knew, but it was like I was wearing a t-shirt that said I was Tom Miller's brother. As soon as I crossed the Washington state line, U.S. Border Patrol and the local cops stopped me several times, supposedly as part of some random screening program. Every single time they asked me what I was doing and whether I planned to leave the country from their state. Then someone followed me all the way from Port Angeles to the building site. I thought the driver was going to whack me, but he introduced himself as a member of the resistance. How the hell he knew who I was, I don't know, but he knew exactly how much money Tom had sent me, and he offered me a job with him if I pledged that money to their cause. Theo was dying to ask Terry how much money Tom had given him, but the more he heard, the safer he thought he would be if he didn't know the details. So what are you going to do? I need time to think about it, but I can't think here. I'm getting out of town for a while. Terry threw his bag over his shoulder and bolted for the door. Theo followed him outside, but Terry stopped in his tracks. Whose car is that? Terry said, gazing at the gleaming EVL-1. It's mine, Theo said. Just picked it up before coming here. Sorry, I forgot, Terry said, realizing in that moment that the world didn't revolve around him. You passed your test then. Congratulations. Thanks. If you weren't in a rush to get away, I'd let you take her for a spin. If I wasn't in a rush to get away, I'd take you up on that offer. It's a real beauty. I I know I sling you some serious overtime, but still, how the hell can you afford it? Got a deal that was too good to be true. No doubt. Anyway, I'd better go. Where are you going? Theo asked, then corrected himself. No, don't tell me. If anything you said is true, it might be best if I don't know. Uh, do you know what you're going to do, though? My head's telling me to hand the money in. But? But exactly. Me and Tom didn't talk much, but he was still my brother. If he's dead, then I can't just let that go, can I? Theo shrugged. I guess not. So you're good here until I get back? Whatever I do, I'll let you know. I'll cope. Good luck. They said their goodbyes and Theo went back inside the store. Terry got into his car and headed for home, eager to pack his things into the trunk and get out of town. Unbeknown to him, many of the EVL-1's onboard systems were always running, regardless of whether the ignition had been turned on or not. The facial recognition software was one of those systems. By default, the EVL-1 was configured to constantly analyze the images from its onboard cameras to search for shapes it was programmed to recognize, including human faces.
As a result of this, it registered Terry's appearance within its field of vision. Terry's appearance then triggered custom functions specific to Theo's EVL-1. To any observer, the car would have appeared to be doing nothing, but its computer was executing line after line of code. Then when its sensors told there was no one around to see what it was doing, the engine fired up, and it drove itself out of the parking lot. Chapter 5 Theo didn't see the damage at first. In the pale orange glow that the streetlights cast over the darkness, he had to do a double-take before it registered. That can't be my car. This must be some kind of mistake. Why did this have to happen the first day I have the car? The front of his beautiful car had been violated. The EVL-1's front bumper, grille, and lights were broken and contorted twisted into unnatural shapes that could only have been caused by a violent collision, and a spiderweb-like crack had been smashed into the windscreen. Theo ran across the parking lot, desperately hoping he would wake up from this nightmare. But this was no dream. The front of his pride and joy had been smashed to pieces before he'd even had the keys for 24 hours. He was filled with rage, an overwhelming desire to find the inconsiderate son of a bitch who had driven into the parking lot, most likely drunk, and smashed into his car then driven away before anyone noticed. Then a thought struck him. CCTV. He scanned the parking lot and spotted the cameras Terry had had installed at the insurance company's request. There were two of them, and Theo suspected the one over the door had the EVL-1 in its field of vision. He ran back inside and found the CCTV console in the office. He couldn't remember ever seeing Terry using it, and he had to push aside piles of papers and other office detritus to get to it. Please, God, let it be working. Theo hit the power button on the screen and it fired into life. The screen was divided into four small video windows, each showing a surprisingly clear and detailed feed from each of the cameras. Two outside the store and two inside. There was his EVL-1 off-center in the feed on the top right of the screen. And he hoped the image was sharp enough to allow him to read the license plate of the vehicle that crashed into it. Using the mouse, he dragged the slider below the video feed backwards and saw the time readout above the slider move back in time. He stopped at the time his shift started and saw his car sitting in the sunshine, its shape as perfect as it had been the day it rolled off the production line. He clicked the slider backward and forward in time, finding damaged or undamaged car each time, narrowing the window of time to the point where he could find the car that smashed into his. But what Theo didn't expect to see was an empty parking space where the EVL-1 had been sitting. Suddenly, racked with confusion, he clicked backwards a minute at a time until he saw the EVL-1 sitting in its parking space once again. Then he hit the play button and watched the stationary vehicle until it drove itself out of the view of the camera. No one had broken into it and stolen it. He rewound the feed and checked. There was no one in the driver's seat. For some reason, his new car had driven away by itself that afternoon while he was working. He clicked forward in time minute by minute, then saw the EVL-1 drive itself back into the same parking space 25 minutes later. Where the hell did it go? Theo thought to himself. He left the office and returned to the parking lot. There was the EVL-1 still sitting in its space with its front end smashed in. But now it had taken on the air of a naughty child who had done something wrong and wasn't in the mood to talk about it.
I've got a secret, it seemed to whisper to him. Theo advanced across the parking lot more tentatively than he had before. He examined the damage again, and that's when something else caught his eye. In the glow of the streetlights, it looked like motor oil had leaked into the dented bodywork. It was only when he dabbed the liquid with his fingers and examined it closer that he realized the front of his brand new car was dripping with blood. Chapter 6 Theo recoiled and rubbed his fingers frantically on his shirt. What the hell is going on? He thought, casting his eyes around in panic, hoping no one could see him, knowing that a single remark from a passing stranger was likely to result in the local police department descending on him in force. The EVL-1 looked on, its twisted grill taunting him with the memory of what it had done. A thought struck him and Theo jumped to his feet. He opened the driver's door but didn't get in, opting to lean inside instead, leaving himself the option to run for it if he needed to. Welcome aboard, Theo. Where would you like to go today? The EVL once said, its female voice coming across less alluring and more annoying than it had earlier in the day. What was your last destination? Theo said. 16 Riverside Drive, she said. That address was familiar. It took a second for the penny to drop. Holy shit, Theo exclaimed and fished in his pocket for his phone. His fingers shaking, he found Terry's number and called it. There was no answer. He slammed the door shut and ran in the direction of 16 Riverside Drive. It wasn't far, but far enough to leave him gasping for air when he turned onto the road. The sight ahead stopped him in his tracks. Terry's house was illuminated by blue flashing lights. Police cars and ambulances lined the road and crime scene tape had been draped round the perimeter of his boss's property. Theo advanced slowly into a group of bystanders made up of neighbors, people out walking their dogs and local busybodies. What happened? Theo asked no one in particular. An old man with a Labrador answered. Traffic accident. Cops said it was a hit and run. Was it the guy who lives in that house? They said his name was Terry. I've lived on this road for years, only found out my neighbor's name now that he's dead. Did you know him? He's my boss. Was my boss. Did the cops say what happened? Not much, because they're treating it as suspicious. Just that your boss was packing his car when a car appeared out of nowhere and ran him down. Why are they treating it as suspicious? I overheard them say the paramedics think he was hit twice. Once in the legs to bring him down, then in the head. And that's the blow that killed him. Theo was in no doubt as to what had happened, but he couldn't believe it. Was the EVL-1, his dream car, really responsible for the death of his boss? With the combination of facial recognition and self-driving technology, he could just about understand how someone might program the car to kill someone, but the question was why. Why would someone want Terry, the manager of a convenience store, dead? It must be related to the email from his brother, Theo thought. In a world quickly descending into madness, it seemed like the only logical explanation. He felt compelled to find a cop and tell him everything he knew, but then again, what good would that do? He would come across as a raving lunatic or suddenly find himself as the prime suspect or both. Hey, the old man said, breaking Theo's thoughts. Is that blood on your shirt? Theo looked down at the spot where he'd wiped his hand after discovering blood on the front of his car. He looked up at the old man, offering no immediate explanation and found the finger of suspicion pointing firmly in his direction. Wait here, kid, the old man said. I think we need to talk to a cop, don't you? Theo didn't answer. 
As the old man approached the crime scene tape asking to speak to a detective, Theo urgently considered his options. Stay and tell the cops what he thought had happened here? Stay and tell the cops something that didn't make him sound like a maniac? Or make a run for it and get the whole police force after him? The police were certain to test the blood in his shirt and he knew it was Terry's. He looked up and down the road assessing his escape options. What he saw made his mind up for him. There, at the end of Riverside Drive, was a pair of headlights. There was enough ambient light to make out the outline of the car they belonged to. It was a Synergy EVL1. His EVL1. Its engine was running, but it was standing still, watching him. He took a few steps forward away from the small crowd at the crime scene until he was standing on his own in the middle of the road. A moment later, the EVL1 edged forward, crawling along next to the sidewalk. The car was stalking him. As unbelievable as it was, he knew beyond any doubt that his car had killed his boss and now it wanted him dead too. Had it changed its plan? Did it originally want to frame Theo for Terry's murder? Is that why it went back to the store? But did it now want to kill him too because somehow it thought he knew too much? He heard the old man from behind. That kid, there. Then he heard a cop's voice in a tone familiar to him from TV documentaries and detective shows. Sir, put your hands on your head and lie face down on the ground. Theo put his hands on his head and turned round. A plainclothes detective was pointing his gun at him with the old man quickly backing away behind the ambulance. I know what's going on here, Theo said. It'll sound crazy, but I didn't kill Terry. The detective ignored him. I said get down on the ground. Theo looked over his shoulder. The EVL1 was still edging down the road, waiting for its moment to strike. I can't do that, Theo said. It's not a request, son, it's an order. You see that black car behind me? Theo said. If I lie down in this road, it's going to hit the gas and drive over me. The detective glanced over Theo's shoulder at the EVL1, advancing slowly towards them. Look at it, Theo continued. It's all smashed up at the front. It's covered in blood. That's the blood I've got on my shirt. That's the car that killed Terry. How do you know all this? It's my car. So who was driving it when it ran into Terry? No one. It's a self-driving car. It was driving itself. You're saying your car murdered your boss by itself? I know it sounds crazy, but look at it now. There's no one in the driver's seat. It's driving itself right now. It killed Terry, and I think it wants to kill me too. Why? Because I know what it did. I've got evidence back at the store where I work. I saw it on the CCTV leaving the car park, then coming back all smashed up. This all happened while I was at work. I can prove it. Just lower your gun and take me in. The detective took in the scene before him. The kid in front of him did not present an immediate threat to himself or others, but the sinister-looking black car that was edging towards them in the background did. No doubt about that. What the kid was saying sounded insane, but he was asking to be taken into custody. The detective lowered his gun. As soon as he did, he heard the throaty roar of the car's engine, followed by a squeal of tires. The next few seconds were a blur. The detective sprinted in Theo's direction, finding himself in a foot race against the sports car. He was closer to him than the car was, but the EVL1 made up ground with lightning speed. The kid was frozen to the ground, dumbfounded. The detective grabbed Theo's shirt and dragged him to one side a split second before the car sped through the place where he had been standing. He threw Theo to the ground and the kid escaped with nothing more than a few cuts and bruises. But the detective felt the force of the EVL1's rear wing as it slammed its steering wheel into full lock 
burning rubber and spinning almost a full 360 in an attempt to get Theo back in its sights once again. Pain shot down the side of the detective's body. The force of the collision knocked him down, but he didn't have time to inspect his injury. He looked up and saw the blood-soaked, dented grill of the EVL-1 bearing down on him. He heard the wheel spin and closed his eyes, bracing himself for the end. But nothing happened. He waited a moment, then squinted through one eye. The car was still. It still emitted a low whir from its electric engine, but it just sat there, like a dog whose owner had told it to sit. For the first time, the detective noticed that the kid was right. There was no one behind the steering wheel. With no face peering out from the windscreen, the twisted shape of the EVL-1 had taken on the look of a sneering monster, bearing down on its prey in anticipation of the fatal strike. Then the engine roared, followed by the screech of tires. The detective closed his eyes once again, the thought of his wife and children flashing into his mind for what he thought would be the last time. But instead of the sounds of the EVL-1 accelerating towards him, he heard it move away from him. He opened his eyes and saw skid marks on the road where the EVL-1 had been poised. It was halfway up the drive by now, reversing at top speed. Then, with the precision of a Hollywood stunt driver, the EVL-1 spun a 180 and shot into the distance, never losing its momentum. Theo stood over the detective and offered him his hand. The detective got to his feet. He screamed in pain as the injured side of his body tried to bear his weight. Paramedics from the ambulance were on him in seconds, but he resisted their attempts to help him at first. Wait, I can't let this kid go, he said through gritted teeth as he tried to adjust his position to minimize the pain. He turned to Theo. Sorry, kid. You're our best witness, and like it or not, you're still our prime suspect. It's okay, Theo said. I'll stay with you. CCTV at the store shows I was there when Terry was killed. You really think it's the car, don't you? You mean you don't? I know what I saw just now, but that doesn't mean you had nothing to do with killing your boss. I need to call for backup before I let the paramedics take me to the hospital. Theo sighed. Fine. Why don't I come to the hospital with you? You're hurt and you need to see a doctor. Tell your backup to pick me up in the ER. You won't try and make a run for it? You think I want to be alone on the streets when that car's still out there? Chapter 8 Theo had no idea what time it was. He estimated he'd been sitting in one of the Portland Police Department's holding cells for three, maybe four hours, but he wasn't sure what time he'd arrived. With no windows in the gray walls, it could have been midnight or midday outside and he wouldn't have known. He had accompanied the detective to the hospital the ambulance. Then another detective had shown up and taken him to the police station, where he was booked in and an officer showed him to the cell. No one had come to question him yet. The only contact he'd had with anyone was when the booking officer offered to get him a cup of coffee after maybe an hour or so. He tried to lie down and sleep, but quickly realized it was a futile effort. His mind was worrying with questions he couldn't answer. Since he'd got out of bed that morning, he'd passed his driving test, signed the papers on his dream car, gone to work, heard a tale of government conspiracies from his boss, then witnessed the disappearance of his self-driving car, where it had almost certainly driven itself across town to commit a murder. Then, when Theo went to investigate it, it had tried to kill him and the detective at the scene. Who had programmed his car to kill? Why did it kill Terry? Was it because of what he saw in Port Angeles? Why did it try to kill me and the detective? Was it programmed to kill everyone who got in its way? Was it really a self-driving car or was someone controlling it remotely? Was that why it stopped its attack and drove away? Where is it now? 
Will it come back to kill again? Theo heard footsteps outside, followed by the heavy clunk of the door being unlocked. As the door opened, he expected to see a police officer standing behind it, ready to escort him to the interview room. Instead, there were two men in black suits who let themselves into a cell and shut the door behind them. He'd never been in a police station before, let alone been held in custody overnight in relation to one murder and two attempted murders, but this situation didn't feel right at all. Who are you? Theo asked the two men towering over him. They fished in their pockets and retrieved their ID badges. FBI, Special Agent Glenn Caruso. This is my partner, Special Agent Rick Murphy. We want to ask you a few questions. Shouldn't we go to an interview room? Theo said. Don't I need a lawyer with me? Agent Murphy moved back to stand in front of the door. Agent Caruso took a seat on the bench next to Theo. First things first, Caruso said. You're not under arrest. You are not a suspect in the investigation into the murder of your boss. When you're done here, you'll be free to go. He paused, watching Theo's face carefully as his words sunk in. So we don't need a lawyer here, do we? Theo looked from one agent's face to another. They were expressionless. He couldn't read them at all, but he didn't trust them. He offered only a shrug in response. I'll take that as a yes, Grusso said. How long did you know Terry? Just over a year, as long as I've been working at the store. We understand he left town at short notice over the weekend. Caruso let a silence hang over the room. Theo said nothing. He hadn't been asked a question. Did he call you at all? Caruso asked. He called me on Saturday morning when I started the early shift to say he needed me to cover the whole weekend. Did he do that a lot? Sometimes. Must be tough. Your boss telling you you've got to work long hours for him? Could be worse. I'm saving up for college so the overtime helps. Did he say where he was going? No, he just told me he was going away for the weekend. He said it was a family thing. The agents exchanged looks, then Caruso continued. But you saw him after he got back? Briefly, when his shift ended and mine started. Did he say where he had been? He said he'd been up north in Washington State. Port Angeles? The way Caruso had been talking, Theo was certain he had known more than he was letting on. Now it was obvious. Sounds like you knew he'd gone there anyway. I just wanted to hear it from you. You see, we got a call from the Port Angeles PD. They said they witnessed a gentleman matching Terry's description trespassing on federal property. He got away, but they got the license plate of his rental car. The trail led us here, but he was already dead by the time we got here. If the crazy story Terry had told Theo was true, then it tied in with what Caruso had just told him. He did his best to show nothing other than a blank expression. Did Terry say where he was going after work? He said he was leaving town again. Did he say where he was going, or how long he was going for? No, and no. Did he seem agitated to you? Did he suggest that he might have come into some money? Look, Theo said, doing his best to gather the confidence he needed to stand up to a federal agent. I don't know what happened. I'm just some kid who works in a store whose boss got killed in an accident today, but I'm not totally dumb. If this is an interview, I know you need to let me have a lawyer, and I also know that if I was you and I was talking to someone who told the police their car had driven itself away to kill his boss, I'd be asking him about his car. But you haven't asked me a single thing about it. All you've done is ask me about where Terry has been this weekend, and it sounds to me like you already know. And if you already know that, then you must know that my self-driving car killed my boss all by itself. And if you know that, and don't ask me any questions, then you must know who did it. And if it's not me, then you need to let me go now. I don't know what time it is, but I need to open up the store today. Now, do you need to get me a lawyer, or can I leave here and go to work? The agents exchanged another look, then Caruso turned and said, Okay, kid, you can leave, but you don't need to go to work. What do you mean? There was an accident at your store overnight. 
What kind of accident? A motor vehicle came off the road and crashed into the store where you work. There was a fire and, uh, and unfortunately the fire department didn't get there in time. Theo felt numb. Too much had happened the last 24 hours to compute. Too much had happened for the combination of events to be a coincidence. Wait a minute, he said. What kind of vehicle? A Synergy EVL-1. Theo was shocked, but not surprised. Mine? Yes. We're not sure how the fire began without any gasoline to act as an accelerant. And I bet you can't check because the CCTV recordings are gone as well, right? Unfortunately, that's correct. That was the evidence I needed to prove I wasn't in the car when Terry died. So why are you letting me go? Why haven't you asked me where I got the car? We know where you got the car. We've already spoken to your father. That's why we're letting you go. The thought of these FBI agents having spoken to his father already was very unsettling. So was the dealer the one behind this? Was he controlling the car remotely? That's classified, son. But you know who he is, so you're going to arrest him? He skipped town. Don't worry, we'll find him. Theo sighed. So that's it? Can I go? Agent Murphy stepped to the side and knocked on the door. The officer on the other side of the door unlocked it. Theo got to his feet. Thank you for your cooperation, Caruso said. You're welcome, Theo said. I guess I need to look for another car. You want some advice? Sure. If a deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Especially if the dealer's name is Tony Baloney. The agent's <laughs> laughter echoed along the corridor as the officers led Theo back to the front desk. He had no car, no job, and only a week left until he went back to school. He couldn't just ignore everything he'd seen, forget everything Terry had said, even if he wasn't sure how much of it to believe. All he knew was that he had a week to kill and some spare cash in the bank, courtesy of a summer of overtime. Port Angeles, and maybe the truth, were only a bus ride away. Thank you for listening to The Self-Driving Killer. The Self-Driving Killer takes place in the time immediately after the events of One Day in Gitmo Nation, Scott McKenzie's first novel in the Gitmo Nation universe, which is available now. <laughs>